This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name's Shona Jamfrey. I'm presenting this programme for several months while the amazing Penny Southgate has a very well-deserved rest and recharges her batteries. We're going to be looking at some new stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. And today we have an interview with a very special guest, Miriam Quick from Loud Numbers, part of a team that has put together the Bristol Burning Track. It's a dub influence track that turns air quality data from St. Paul's into sonic artwork. Something a bit different. But welcome to One Love, One Planet. Thank you for joining us and settle in for what is sure to be an interesting hour. This is BCFM. We're going to do our bit of our news roundup now of the environmental news in Bristol, in the UK and internationally. We're going to start with a rather unusual one, um, something a bit different. Al Jazeera have got a headline saying, Dr. Deep Sea, a US man breaks the record for time living underwater. A Florida university professor says he will remain underwater until he reaches 100 days and completes a research mission. So it's not just a strange truth or dare. This is a scientific endeavour. A university professor in the United States, Joseph Dituri, has broken a record for the longest time living underwater without depressurization this weekend at a Florida Keys Lodge for scuba divers. But Dituri isn't just settling for the record. Uh, he plans to stay at the lodge until June the 9th, when when he will reach 100 days and complete an underwater mission dubbed Project Neptune 100. The mission combines medical and ocean research along with educational outreach. His research includes daily experiments in physiology to monitor how the human body responds to long-term exposure to extreme pressure. He says the idea is to populate the world's oceans to take care of them by living in them and really treating them well. And he's been doing um, online classes and broadcast interviews from his digital studio beneath the sea. So far he has reached uh, over 2,500 students through online classes in marine science and more with his regular biomedical engineering courses. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a bit different. Populating the world's oceans, inc- increasing our connection to them by living underwater. So another headline, um, this is from the Natural History Museum. Britain has lost 73 million birds over the last 50 years. The number of wild birds in Britain has fallen by 73 million since 1970. Most of the declining species are farmland birds, where a mix of increasingly industrialised agriculture, habitat loss and the climate crisis are having severe impacts. Maybe you've noticed the dawn chorus is a lot quieter nowadays than it was a few decades ago. If you've, if you remember, um, if you've been around for a while and you remember the dawn chorus being a lot louder, have you noticed this? Is it quieter than it used to be? Uh, 50 years ago, it might have been normal to hear the rhythmic call of a cuckoo or the trill of a turtle dove, but these songs are becoming ever signs are becoming ever rarer um, this is because a new study has found that over time Britain has lost almost a third of all its wild birds if these declines continue unabated it is not inconceivable that future generations will grow up never having heard the call of a cuckoo or a song thrush the staggering numbers are the result of research by the British Trust for Ornithology who have looked back to data from the 1970s to try and get a better idea of how many wild birds lived in Britain at that time and then they 
they've compared the statistics to more modern surveys. Um, and over the past five decades, Britain has lost close to 30 million house sparrows, 20 million starlings, 4 million skylarks, 2 million blackbirds and 1 million chaffinches. Um, the British Trust for Ornithology, they have published their results on a website that allows anyone in the UK to discover which bird species once lived in your local area and which ones are doing well. And you can find that simply by entering your postcode. Um, so you can, that website is data.bto.org forward slash doorstep hyphen birds. That's data.bto.org forward slash doorstep hyphen birds. And that is how you can check and see um, what bird species have lived in your area and what ones are still doing well. This links to some local news that we have had in the last week or so about um, uh, uh, the yew tree farm, which in Bedminster Down, the last working farm in Bristol. You maybe saw this headline in Bristol 24-7 last week. Mayor blasts council's own staff for lack of due care and attention. So that rather unusually, the mayor has publicly waded into the latest goings on at Yew Tree Farm, um, just hours after decision was made taken by council officers to allow part of an ancient hedgerow to be removed. Marvin Rees took the extraordinary step of publicly lambasting staff at City Hall for making that decision. Um, the Yew Tree farmer Catherine Withers had slammed the city council for their incompetence after the removal of a hedgerow was deemed to be allowable because the council didn't respond in time um, and then a spokesperson person from Marvin Rees said we're deeply disappointed that officers have taken decisions and actions in this case without any political input or oversight nor the due care and attention we expect the mayor has instructed the planning service to ensure that the appropriate level of ecological due diligence is undertaken so I'm sure we will hear more about that but yes thinking of everyone at U Tree Farm and the importance and we know the importance of keeping our hedgerows because it will allow it will allow um, these birds and these species to, uh, to, to flourish. And then finally, uh, last uh, uh, headline locally, um, do you remember the former Marks and Spencers um, uh, uh, store, uh, store in Broadmead? Within the former Marks and Spencers, which has been in Broadmead for more than 70 years before closing in January 2022, um, that is now taken over by an organisation called Sparks. Sparks is described as a hub of sustainability, creativity and education. The space has been co-created by Global Glows, Global Glows Centre and Art Space Life Space and designed by an organisation called the Invisible Circus to be a vibrant, positive venue which visitors can explore what a greener, fairer and more creative future looks like. There is food and drink available, pre-loved and reworked clothing from the Sustainable Fashion Week team. There's a baby bank where you can um, uh, trade in and get uh, reused uh, baby clothes. Uh, very important because babies uh, grow so quickly. And even a bus to drive, which is close to a model of a tram built in 1806, where you can imagine what public transport in Bristol could have looked like. And that is open from Wednesday to Sunday. The Guardian have a headline uh, saying a wealth tax of 0.5% could cover the UK's share of loss and damage fund, says charity. And this is a report from the anti-poverty campaigners Christian Aid saying that uh, in order 
order to cover a loss and damage fund that was established at last year's COP27 climate summit in Egypt in order to uh, cover the UK's part of that, then taxing 5p of every £10 of individual's wealth, if uh, over £1 million, would raise £15 billion a year by 2030, well in excess of the required contribution, the estimated contribution. A tax on, on wealthy Britons of just 0.5% could more than meet the UK's entire fair share contribution to the International Loss and Damage Fund established to support countries worst hit by the global climate breakdown. So this particular fund, the Loss and Damage Fund, has been sought by developing countries since 1992. The fund was the most contentious issue at the UN conference last year and many of its specifics are yet to be ironed out. So, or... The Christian Aid report suggests that the entire sum could also be raised through a tax of up to 95% on the excess profits of fossil fuel companies, which are enjoying all-time record surpluses. Or the money could be raised by a combination of measures, including air passenger levies, emissions trading schemes, and an expanded financial transactions tax. No country has yet agreed how much they will contribute toward the loss and damage fund. It sounds like a great idea. It's going to be really tricky. Is it one of those things, you know, everyone agrees to it in theory, and then it never happens but uh, Christian Aid has pointed out some really easy ways that this could happen whilst also uh, not hitting ordinary people taxing the very very wealthy so something to think about. Um, now for our interview today we're going to be speaking to Miriam Quick from Loud Numbers who's collaborated with Bristol artist T. Relly on a piece of sonic artwork that turns a year of air quality data from St Paul's into a piece of music. We'll listen to the track first it's called Bristol Burning and then we will hear from Miriam. The music becomes more and more distorted and the drone noise gets longer as the air quality gets worse. Um, Also listen out for the months of the year that mark which part of the year we are in. But yes, as the drone noise that you hear, that is deliberate. That is what uh, marking the air quality getting worse and worse. Where do you go for your fresh air? And is the disparity less compared? Who will speak up now? Who will dare? I'm not making it up when level peaks alarm waking them up. Wake up, something's coming. My city's on fire, said the old place burning from. Let no close, all stand drive. It's amazing, all the people stay alive, cause it's been positive. Same every day, son of a kitchen, they can say It's a problem, a problem if nobody sees You know what I mean If no one's in the forest to hear the sound of the trees Spoke to Winston Sharon, Mohammed and Steve Told me, said they keep them can breathe Please, just do me a favour
traffic in the morning. Daytime, nighttime. Yeah. Wood burners. All them things there. We're in a loop. interview with a very special guest Miriam Quick from Loud Numbers. Miriam how are you? I'm fine it's really nice to be here. Thank you. Well thank you for coming. Um, yeah we have just heard the Bristol burning track which is um, like a sonification of uh, air quality in Bristol. Can Yeah but so we'll get on to that in a minute but just yeah tell us about yourself tell us sort of how you came to be involved in this project. Yeah so the project that I'm involved with is called uh, Slow the Smoke and that's a project that's been run uh, by Noel West Media Centre, KWNC, in conjunction with, uh, I think, people from Bristol University and a team of citizen scientists. I'll explain a little bit more about how they were involved. But how I came to be involved was I responded to an open call for an artist who would work with the data set that had been collected by the citizen scientists on air quality in Bristol. So I was really excited by this because um, in my day job, I work as a data journalist. So I work with data a lot. Uh, I create charts and graphics. Uh, I I write data stories. Uh, I work for people like the BBC on a freelance basis. Um, and I also do data-driven artworks. So I work a lot with artists to create visual artworks, uh, physical data artworks like data sculptures. Uh, and I also do sonifications. So my background is, um, before I started as a data journalist, I was actually a musician. Um, I did a PhD in music. And as part of that, I actually got really interested in, in analysing data. So that's kind of how I got into data journalism. Um, but I've always been really keen to like bring data and music together. So with this project, I thought this is brilliant. I can apply some sonification skills here and really get involved in this data set 
that's about air quality, which is something I really care about. You know, I'm really interested in environmental issues and I can enliven this data set, bring it to life and make it into something that sounds beautiful, make it into music. So so the, the piece we've just heard, how, um, so there's obviously like a bit of distortion at times. Just remind us how that, what that represents and sort of how you how you made the this data which can be quite dry it's just numbers how you did how you wanted to make it something more um yeah sort of more emotional and something that grabs you more yeah exactly so, I mean that's basically the idea is that you rather than just having a dry data set you know that's like says air pollution is bad it goes up it goes down we can all look at charts and be like yeah we can see that there are patterns here but we don't really feel the changes and that's why sonification uh, is so good so sonification in case people aren't aware is basically turning data into sound and doing it in a systematic way so just like you might turn data into a chart you might use uh, different colors to represent different categories or you might use the height of a line to represent how much of there is of something or the height of a bar or something like that with sonification you're doing the same thing but you're doing it with sounds you're doing it with pictures so you might have something where if the picture gets higher there's more data there's more the numbers get higher. As the pitches get lower, the, the numbers get lower. Or you might have, uh, as something gets louder, the numbers get higher. Or you might use something like a, an effect, like distortion or reverb. And as you turn up the effect, that scales proportionally to the changes in the data. So with this track, uh, which is called Bristol Burning, um, there's basically two layers to it. There's the track itself, which is a dub-influenced track with some amazing vocals by Relly, who is a T. Relly, who's a, a Bristol-based artist. And then there's the sonification layer. So the sonification is basically a really dirty-sounding drone. I mean, you could probably hear on the track just now. It kind of sounds like really rough in the middle. That's totally deliberate. The drone represents air quality over the course of a year from August 2021 to September 2022. And I took basically the monthly average levels of one particular um, type of pollution, which is called uh, particulate matter or PM10. And uh, I mapped that data on average particulate levels to the loudness and the filter cutoff of a drone. So the louder the drone gets, the more pollution there was in the air that month. And the dirtier sounding, it's kind of grittier sounding it gets, the more pollution there was in the air that month. So because it's, the track starts basically in summer and it goes from summer to summer, um, and air quality gets worse in winter on average. I was going to say, the yeah, the, the, the middle of it is particularly bad, but that, yeah. that's because air quality is worse. I, did, I wasn't actually aware of that, that air quality is worse in winter. Yeah, it really is. And this is for a number of reasons. You know, one is that people do stuff like drive more because it's bad, bad weather. Um, and they also burn solid fuel. And this is a particular problem. And this is a really growing problem that we've got all over the country, but particularly in Bristol, we've got... Um, People were burning wood burning stoves and that releases a, a lot of particulate matter into the air. Uh, and you've also got the effect of the, the colder temperatures. So as the cold air uh, sinks, it can trap the pollution where it is, the pollution that's generated locally. So not all pollution is, is generated locally. Some of it blows in from elsewhere. Uh, but a lot is and and what is produced locally it gets trapped more in the winter so it stays near the ground so it's more like people are more likely to breathe it in and this really uh, uh, results in like high levels on the on the on the sensors that are they're measuring this stuff constantly 
So it's you've got this annual cycle. Starts off kind of pretty good. You can barely hear the drone, and it gets really, really heavy, and it kind of almost drowns out the music in in the winter. And I just wanted to really draw attention to this to this loop that we're stuck in. And at one point, you know, you hear uh, Relly's vocals saying, "We're in a loop," and and we really are because this thing happens again and again and again. And while air quality is getting slightly better over the very long term. The, the decline is really very, very slow. So things are getting better, but it's, it just needs to speed up. And now we have this growing issue of people using wood burners. There is a danger that things will start to get worse again. And, and we know that, that air pollution uh, causes all sorts of really nasty health problems for people. And that it's very unequal in terms of how people are, are affected. You know, if you live near a major road, if you live in an inner city, there's not a lot of green space around you, then you're more likely to be affected by poor air quality. And it's the same if you've got a health burden, you know, if you're older or children or you're living with a disability, then you're more likely to be affected. So it, it really sort of magnifies social injustices. People of colour are more likely to be affected as well, simply because of living in particular areas. Yes. And I think I read somewhere that, well, we know that um, air quality in Bristol is, uh, can reach illegal levels and people in Bristol do die every year from uh, from the poor air quality but there's you've marked particular points where um the air quality um breached illegal levels was that right you've marked those in the track somehow yeah that's right so the the who the world health organization set these levels uh, for uh daily averages um for for particulate pollution and all sorts of different other pollution pollutants as well and and there's a few days in the year where these daily levels are exceeded and at these points in the track you can hear a scream which is kind of like a a slight sort of horror horror movie thing uh but there's a scream that i um recorded uh it's it's actually done by three local school children uh, three girls who we, we ran a recording session last October with them and they actually almost broke the mic. They were so loud. <laughs> we were just like, ah! So I thought, this is brilliant. You know, there's a scream every time the the, the, the uh, daily levels are exceeded. Uh, yeah. So I put this in the track and kind of looped it and there's this sort of nightmarish component to it all. Of course. And where did the data come from? Because that's a story in itself. Yeah. So the data came um, from... A, a collection of, of local people living around Ashley Ward, that's St Paul's, Werberg's, Montpellier, and they stuck these sensors on the outside of their houses, which are really quite quite low-tech sensors, but do produce really quite accurate results. And these measure local air pollution. Uh, and I also combined it with the uh, Bristol City Council-run centre, uh, sensor, which is based um, in St Paul's, in the centre of St Paul's, and compared the data from, from the two um, you know, the official sensor and the unofficial ones, they're really quite close. They're showing very similar trends. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, there are these local fluctuations, but you've also got this, this broad seasonal trend where I think it's worse in the winter and all the sensors are picking that up. So it was really nice to use uh, data that's been collected by local people and also to involve local people in the track, you know, to record local people. We've got um, not just Relly, we've also got... Um, the girls screaming and then we've got every uh, time you hear a new month starting the data so it starts in August and goes September October all the way through the year um, I sampled somebody um, saying the name of the, of the month 
so you've got you hear the first thing you hear in the track is August and then you hear September, October. And it's almost like hearing a little label in the track. So you sort of know where you are because it's very easy to lose track of the sonification. Like you don't know where you are in the data. You don't really know what you're hearing. So I like to kind of make it clear where people are in the data so they can follow along. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, using local talent, I watched the music video t- for this and I'd recommend anyone interested watch it on YouTube because, yeah, there's loads of, it's it's all sort of filmed locally. There's loads of, there's like local people performing in it, local dancers, um, which is, I think, really, yeah, really lovely in terms of bringing that and making that feel more rooted. Um, so, yeah, that, that was great. Um, and I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about um, your other the you know the sonification in general because you work in a project called loud numbers and you've done other projects in similarly haven't you around the climate yeah that's right so loud numbers is my studio uh which is focused around data sonification uh we're quite new uh we've only been a studio for a few months and uh it's a collaboration between me and um my friend and collaborator duncan gear who is a data journalist and information designer is based in sweden uh, but we we have this kind of like remote working relationship and we work really well across across borders um but loud numbers actually started as a podcast um in 2021 we basically realized that we were both really interested in exploring the, the capacity of sonification, you know, turning data into sound, turning data into music tracks. And we realized that there wasn't a lot of, of it in terms of podcasts. Like we really wanted to, to, to start a podcast where people could like explore a data set through sound. So every episode, there's five episodes in the podcast and each one follows a similar format. You start with like introducing the data story whether it's climate change or we've got one on insect decline we've got one on the u.s economy there's even one on the taste of beer using data from a (laughs) beer expert so we're really trying to sort of tap into that synesthesia of like turning a taste into a sound like can we actually do that um and so they all follow some similar format start with the story then we explain the system that we've used to turn the data into sound which is kind of different in every episode so uh what's one of the cool things about sonification is like does it, there isn't just one way of doing it there's actually loads of different ways of doing it and it's a bit like the wild west at the moment that everybody's kind of exploring like what actually works best and what doesn't work so there's that wonderful sense of discovery to it so we explain the system and then at the end we play the whole music track which will be you know about five six minutes long like the one that we just heard the bristol burning track so we've worked on different different topics um the uh, climate change one that we worked on is the first episode in the podcast and you can listen to it on Spotify or wherever you normally get get podcasts. It's called Loud Numbers. And um, in the first episode, which is called The Natural Lottery, um, we took this interesting data set that was actually from Alaska, where every year in a town called Ninana, a really small town next to a massive river, they run this really strange sweepstake where they put like this it's almost like a tripod. It's a sort of metal structure. They put it on the frozen river in winter and then they place bets on when the river is going to melt. And when the ice melts in the river and everything starts moving, this tripod thing like floats down the river and they attach it to a rope that's attached to like a bell on the or an alarm, I think, on, on the shore. And when the, the rope gets really tight because the river's moving, the alarm rings and at that moment, if you've bet close to that time you win the money <laughs> and it's like it's a lot of money at stake it's like three hundred thousand dollars i oh think last goodness. year 
They're serious big books, and it's been going for like a century. And this is the cool thing. They've got this data set that goes back like 100 years. So we thought, okay, we'll take this data set where every year they log, you know, the date and the time that the ice broke up. And, and what's, they're already turning it into sign. That's like early I sonification. I know. It's so funny, isn't it? We were really like trying to find a way of like using a siren or something in the track. And, and we did find a way of using the siren in the track where we actually, um, as well as sonifying the date that the ice broke up uh, by setting it to the pitch of a chord. So like the earlier the ice breaks up, uh, the higher the chord. And you can, you can kind of hear the signal of climate change emerging. So the chords get higher and higher as the dates get earlier and earlier, because of course the ice is melting earlier each year. Um, but we also got this siren in there. So we've got different layers and they've got the ice melt dates. And then you've got the siren, which is um, sonifying CO2 levels in the atmosphere, like globally. Uh, and that, you know, it starts off low and then it gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And at the end, it's like screaming because, of course, CO2 levels have rocketed over the past century and are now at quite dangerous levels. So you, there's this sense of like panic and urgency to the track, which uh, was intentional. I mean, I don't think we would you'd get that sense of panic and urgency and really getting emotionally engaged in the data if you were just looking at a chart and just seeing a line going up because we've all seen that hockey stick chart haven't we of like temperatures and it's so easy to tune that out but with sound it's much harder to tune it out yeah I was going to say like what sort of responses have you been getting to these I mean so you've done the podcast I saw that you I think you did a project about the heat wave last summer and how the data was affected by that sort of what because you said as you said it's a reasonably new medium you know how are people reacting to it yeah I mean, the, the reaction has been really really interesting um i think some people are incredibly excited by it um and we have had some commercial commissions off the back of the podcast which is kind of why we, we set up the studio which has been really great but i think it is really quite a new stage you know it's it's quite experiment experimental at the moment uh and i think we are beginning to find out you know if there's a niche for this and and how it can be used um i think that sonification does work best with video and then it really has a packs an emotional punch when you've also got the visuals as a backup so you can see something happening and you can hear something happening in the data at the same time um but yeah i think people are generally very excited uh, we're very excited about it and we think it's got loads of potential uh, but i think that there are some people who may be you know it, it's, it's quite an unfamiliar idea the idea that you might read data through sound that you might listen to data rather than seeing it and, and i think that you know we definitely would like to try and prove the, the value of sonification to, to a broader audience. But just going back to the heat wave uh, one that you mentioned, that was a very quick kind of experimental sonification that my uh, collaborator Duncan Gear made last year when we had those you know, awesome summer temperatures and it was like 40 degrees at Heathrow Airport in that was a UK record and it was really quite scarily hot. I mean, I was in Scotland at the time and it was 34, which was a... Yeah, a, a I remember I was, in, I was in Scotland at the time with some friends and one of the friends got heat exhaustion in Scotland, oh. which was, yeah, sort of, I, yeah. You, you, you wouldn't think would be a thing. No, I know. And it's just this new world that we're moving into, isn't it? Where, you know, the things that you think would never happen, like getting heat exhaustion in Scotland, are suddenly possible. Um, and we were in the Scottish borders and it was just dry. I mean, it looked like the Sahara. It was bizarre because, of course, it hadn't rained either. So, yeah, um, Duncan turned this uh, extraordinary, I think there was about a four-day period where 
temperatures reach these extraordinary levels. Um, he turned that into sound. And again, we're using the principle of mapping the data to the sound. And in this case, it was very similar to, to what I did in the Bristol burning track. Uh, we're turning the data into um, volume levels. So the louder the sound, the, um, the higher the temperatures, and also into the roughness or harshness of the sound. So the more distortion there was in the sound, the higher the temperatures. So what you hear is really just this like uh, kind of wave that goes like, and you hear as the temperatures rise during the day and fall at night. And then of course, as the uh, temperatures get higher and higher in the day, the sound gets louder and rougher. So yeah, it's just a little demonstration of kind of what you can do with a very, very short and simple data set. Amazing. Um, so yeah, so if people want to find out more about the project or maybe look at what other ones you've done, remind us where they can find you on like on website, on social media and so on. So uh, Loud Numbers is at loudnumbers.net and you can find lots of information there and links to our previous notifications. The project uh, that Bristol Burning was part of, well, you can search Bristol Burning on YouTube and it will come up with a video. It's on the Null West Media Centre YouTube page. Uh, there's also more information on the Null West Media Centre site. I think it's kwmc.org.uk. But yeah, just search Null West Media Centre and uh, there's information about the Slow the Smoke project on there. Um, you can listen to the track and the video and there's also more information about um, how the track was made and you know yeah, what software I, was I, I saw used. a picture online of you and Relly recording in a kitchen how did that come <laughs> about yeah <laughs> we uh for some reason we didn't have uh, access to the recording studio I can't remember why but we ended up recording in this this kitchen in a shared workspace and the reason it was the kitchen was that uh, <laughs> this was last autumn and we started recording on the day they, they turned the heating on in the building and there was this like hum in the background in all the rooms and we were like oh no like we're not going to be able to record and and then we realized that the heating wasn't on in the kitchen so that was where we had to record because there was no buzz in there no <laughs> hum so it's kind of interesting like yeah there's photos of Freli like with, you know with all the professional recording equipment and with, like a set of bins behind him and stuff it was completely <laughs> surreal the very glamorous life of music production, I see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Ryan, for talking to us. Are there any final words you wanted to, to leave us with? Uh, yeah, just to say it's been a pleasure coming on and talking about the project. And uh, if anybody's interested in, in reaching out to me, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Miriam Quick, or we're also at Loud Numbers. Um, but that's Duncan and I. So, yeah, do get in touch. BCFM. We are almost at the end of the show. We just have time for a bit of a culture corner and I wanted to uh, plug a book all about foraging. Um, you may have noticed a lot of uh, plants, obviously, uh, growing greenery, uh, really springing forth in the last few weeks. Obviously, spring is happening and now is a great time to learn all about foraging. I will preface this with a warning in that there are poisonous plants out there as well. So ideally, try and learn from someone who knows what they're doing. But as a uh, supplement to that, because we don't want anyone to end up eating anything they shouldn't, there is a book called Eat Weeds by Diego Bonetto. It's called Eat Weeds, A Field Guide to Foraging, How to Identify, Harvest, Eat and Use Wild Plants. 
months. And I've been told by people who are really into foraging that this is one of the best books out there. It is a guide to finding, identifying and eating wild plants and essential for anyone interested in reviving the lost art of foraging. As recently as three generations ago, it was common practice all over the world to collect wild food. Knowledge of what, when and where to forage was a necessary part of daily life. Few people today have experienced harvesting wild food with their own hands. And with the advent of supermarket culture, monocultural systems of food production and escalating urbanization foraging knowledge has largely been lost but now there is a desire to learn how to forage once again for health economy and pleasure from forest to seaside from riverbank to city street even in your own yard there is wild food and medicine available to those who know what to look for in the face of global challenges like climate change food security and obviously the pandemic People are seeking to empower themselves with the information and skills that bring self-reliance and equip them to care for their families and communities. In this book, Eat Weeds, Diego Bonetto shows readers how to engage with wild food sources through identification guides. There's 20 recipes for food. There's different remedies. um, And the book says it's time to reconnect with the stories of our ancestors and care for local ecologies while transforming our neighbourhoods into edible adventures. It includes lots of illustrations throughout um, in colour and gives readers some of the tools they need to forage edible plants um i know there's certainly been loads of wild garlic and three-cornered leeks out and about that i've seen i know that there's ways that you can harvest and eat dandelions and nettles safely and this is something it's a really a fun way to kind of plug get yourself plugged into local nature um, as well as obviously the blackberries will be coming out in a few months so it's a really helpful way to kind of start to identify all these things Um, But yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you again to Miriam for the interview. That was very interesting. Um, Thank you, our listeners, for listening. Without you, there is no show. Please do join us next week when we are going to be talking to a local Bristol activist, Danica Priest, about the Western Slopes in South Bristol, the campaign to protect them as an ecologically green space, an important space, the current planning application to build houses in the area. Um, you know, How can we tackle the housing crisis while also protecting our green spaces? We are going to start to get into it. Next up on BCFM is lunchtime with Tristan B. So keep it locked to BCFM for more tunes and chat. But that is all from me, Shona Jemfrey, for now. So please take care, look after yourselves, look after the planet and look after each other. This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM radio available on 93.2 FM on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM radio.